Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to Blog Talk Radio, not to Blog Talk Radio, to Engage for Success Radio. Um, This is show 304, Engaging Employees for Retention and Advocacy. And we're going to be talking about just that today, Engaging Employees. I'm Jo Dodds, your host for today. I'm an engagement consultant working within the Engage Success core team. The Engage Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there is a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice, widely supported across the UK involving the public, private and third sectors. If you go to the website, engagesuccess.org, you can use the link at the bottom of the page to join our newsletter list, and all our social media links are there too. So my guest today is Julie Gibson, who is a business consultant and coach, and I'm hoping she's there because she was there, and then I couldn't get in, and then she disappeared, and I'm hoping that the person that I'm now about to speak to is Julie. Hi, Julie. <laughs> Hi, Joel. Yes, you certainly are. It <laughs> <Me> is. <too. laughs> to relate to us, 
particularly if you're in a leadership role, how you want your team to relate to you as a leader, what kind of work experience you want them to have from that leadership role, and what kind of work experience you want them to take away from the organisation as a whole. And I think if we're clear about what that experience should look like, then the engagement piece is a lot easier. We tend to go straight to the strategy, but actually it's about how do we set ourselves up for success and what we should consider prior to that engagement. And how does that play into when we're recruiting people? I think it plays very strongly into recruitment because what we should be considering is the experience that we're giving our teams, the experience that we're giving the organisation, what the kind of culture it is within there, and really what personality types thrive in that culture and how they would want to be mm -hmm. engaged to. So say, for example, I've worked in organisations where the, cult, the culture was very extrovert because there's a lot of extrovert personalities that were obviously feeding that in, energy into the culture. And then recently, I've worked in organisations which was very introvert. And of course, how you communicate and engage with those two personalities is very, very different. They respond differently. They retain mm -hmm. information differently. They want to be communicated with differently. So in terms of that recruitment process, it's about really understanding the culture, really understanding the work experience you want your teams to get, and then feeding that into the personal attributes and the personality dimension of how you recruit and how you um, engage with candidates and how you bring the right candidates into the organization. Mm. It's interesting you say that, actually. Um, many, many years ago, <laughs> when I was first uh, starting out, I was in retail, and I had the, I was in the fortunate position that one of my bosses was doing a learning qualification and uh, had met Peter Honey of um, Honey and Mumford Learning Styles uh, sort of fame. And he was delivering the Learning Styles questionnaire across our region to do some analysis for his qualification. And Peter Honey offered to help him analyze it, and he invited me along too. And what was really interesting is in retail, in our particular supermarket retail, we had a massive um, amount of managers who had act activist and uh, pragmatism as their sort of, uh, not pragmatism, that's not the word, is it? I don't know what the word is from the Living Stars, but, that, you know, there were people who just got out there and did stuff and put it into practice. And, you know, they weren't interested in the theory. They weren't really reflectors. They were out there yeah. um, just doing, which was a very retail um, you know, way, and that immediately, all those years ago, sort of made me realise then that how certain sectors attract certain types of people, and that was obviously just about learning styles, it wasn't personality per se. Is that something that you've noticed as you've gone across the different sectors? Oh, absolutely. I think the difference between SMCG, automotive, retail, and then moving into government um, administration very very different so fmcg um typically quite transactional although it's become more of a customer experience customer driven sector it, it's very much about getting things there on time day in day out so it was very transactional automotive again very kind of service driven but all about the oems and what they're looking for so all of the t1 and t2 suppliers are really geared in the image of the oem Whereas when you go into retail, I think it's much more relationship-based. It's much more about people. But again, it tends to be quite cutting edge and things have got to be delivered. And it's right, okay, we just need to get this done. And what does this look like for the customer? So very much a customer-centric mm. experience. Whereas when you, when you look into a lot of government sector and a, a more kind of the sports and the outdoor sector, 
perhaps a little bit more um, pragmatic, culturally a bit slower learning style, much more reflective, much more considered. And that, in, in essence, attracts a different personality type as well. So, yes, massive difference mm-hmm. between the, the sectors. Mm-hmm. So what is engagement to you? What, what does it look like? How do you know that it's there? I think what it looks like to me is something that um, is inspiring, something that is motivating, something that communicates with me in a timely manner, something that collaborates with me. It makes me feel valued and it makes me feel like I'm making a difference. It doesn't feel pushed on to me. It feels like I'm part mm-hmm. of that process and I'm actually making the difference on the journey and I'm pushing the journey along. You know, I'm not I'm not slowing it down because I want a, a certain level of information. And actually, I must say, from a personal perspective, I'm actually not some I'm someone who doesn't need a lot of information. I'm quite comfortable with ambiguity and uncertainty. But that's unusual. I think most people prefer a little bit more information for some more certainty but I think we all want to be valued and part of the process and feel like we're we're contributing along that way rather than having everything done to us Mm -hmm. Um, What do you see as the the key drivers for engagement so um, I think you know you've you've described I think something that most of us would sort of recognise but we all have sort of quite um, varied views as to how we get to that. <laughs> so what, yeah. what, what do you think drives that? I think to drive the engagement process, you've got to look at the work experience as a whole. And I think the work experience consists of a number of different elements that cover things like brands, the whole leadership piece, the company practices, the basic elements of job security and the environment, and, and then the whole performance piece itself. So if I break those elements down down into into each individual bit, the brand would be the reputation, what our corporate responsibility looks like, and those kind of things, and filtering down into the vision, the leadership team, you know, how that's cascaded, how business as usual leadership is done as well, and how business business units, how they lead the organization, that's part of the engagement driver as well. And then engagement can be driven mm-hmm. through performance, so what kind of career opportunities do people have? We have the opportunity to learn and develop and continuously improve. How do we performance manage? Because it's great to have the opportunities and the development, but then we've also got to manage performance and manage it in a way that's collaborative and that people feel that they're getting that constructive feedback that's moving them forward. The people management, rewards and recognition, I would class that all as the performance engagement piece. And then in terms of work, it's that collaboration, the autonomy that they feel to do the work, the empowerment, what kind of tasks they're able to contribute to. And then in terms of company practices, it's things like, are we customer-centric? Do we have a customer focus? Do we have um, you know, diversity, inclusion? Is that important to us as an organization? Do we have an enabling infrastructure? Are we supportive of talent and staffing levels? Doing all of those things contributes towards a positive work experience. If you contribute that to a positive work experience, then you have the right drivers for engagement. And I believe if you have those drivers, then the outcomes of that would be, you know, talent, so the retention of talent, the reduction of absenteeism, the improvement of their well-being. And then from an operational perspective, you know, people are more productive, they're working in a safer environment. If it's all about 
you know, that shared collaborative um, perspective on dealing with tasks and getting the work done. And then from a customer perspective, you know, the customer feels engagement as well because they've got that satisfaction. You retain the customers. You've got that brand advocacy and loyalty. So it's about creating the right work experience, which in, career, in turn creates the right engagement drivers and creates the right business outcomes. Um, we said that you've had experience across a number of sectors and we're saying that people can be quite different sort of culturally or in, in their sort of perspective in those different sectors. Does that then mean a different sort of focus on driving engagement or, or is it that the, the, the sort of the, the, um, the framework is, is the same but it's just about how you tweak it to that particular sector? Have you got some examples of of how you've worked with organisations around engagement that may be similar or different, depending? Yeah, sure. So I, I think if you talk about that in terms of um, challenges, I think that there are different challenges within the framework for different organisations and different sectors. So if I look at that engagement driver through the work experience, then I think performance and company practices is very important in automotive because it's all about that, um, you know, that TPM reduction. It's all about the the on-time delivery, the lean lean manufacturing, lean working. The company practices and performance, and particularly performance management, people management, that recognition and reward piece is very very important for automotive. Whereas something like a brand and a reputation and a corporate responsibility tends to come through stronger in the retail perspective, in my experience, because the customer focus is greater simply because in, a, in an automotive supply relationship, the, the OEM is, is your, key, your key customer and you're speeding up to that OEM, whereas in a retail environment, you tend to have a much broader customer base. You tend to be not just thinking about customer, but in consumer as well in that environment. And, and so the engagement drivers tend to be more geared towards the branding, the relationship, diversity, inclusion, all that kind of thing. So I think to answer your question, the framework is the same, but the percentages that you attribute to each, you either ramp up or dial down depending on the industry. Right, okay. And just to talk about the automotive, what does OEM stand for? Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I, I, I try and avoid acronyms, but um, the, the original equipment <laughs> manufacturer. Ah, <laughs> oh, okay. And, and and you're talking to somebody who did work in um, in dealerships, so I should have known. <laughs> I just couldn't remember. I knew, I knew to what you were referring, but uh, not what it actually stood for. Um, so it's interesting that talk, talking about the um, automotive industry, for example, I've, as I say, worked with a, a, a group of dealerships, and it was quite interesting, I think, coming into the engagement space sort of more after that, how sort of ingrained a certain way of working was for senior leaders in automotive um, dealerships uh, that yes. actually wasn't entire. it wasn't particularly, I don't know, it was engaging, but not necessarily, uh, it's quite a hard style of leadership and, and um, the, the chairperson um, or the, the chief executive of the organisation was, was much more able to deal with difficult situations than the senior leaders and it was it was interesting to see how challenged the leaders were in being able to deal with situations because they almost like they'd been sort of 
developed in a sort of hard environment that was very sales focused. And when it came to dealing with people, when there, you know, there were difficult conversations around performance, it became quite um, a hard conversation rather than a sort of nurturing, engaging type conversation. Has that been your experience? Is, is it changing? Was um, I just I, in the wrong organisation? <laughs> yeah, no, I would say it's definitely changing because in any sector, in any organisation, there's a customer at some point and therefore all industries mm-hmm. have to focus on that customer. And I think in doing so, it's making it um, a more engaging environment. The more the customer is brought into the heart of an organization, naturally the more kind of mm-hmm. relationship-focused it becomes, in my experience, because what you're trying to then do is you're looking after a person and an individual rather than just the product. But I think historically, mm-hmm. automotive has been more transactional in its style of leadership because that's what suited the industry back in the day. However, times are certainly mm. changing. But I understand where you're coming from. And I think it's, you, you use the word hard, and I, you know, I can't comment on that because that's your experience. My experience is that it wasn't hard, but it was transactional. It was about we have to achieve mm. that end result. So we will performance manage, we will engage, we will do everything in order to achieve that end result. And the result became everything. And really, to deal with people, you've got to concentrate on the journey as well as the result. Mm, mm. Yeah, and a reflection on sort of retail. I think a quote in retail is often, um, you know, needs of the business mean we've got to do this, this, and this, which can sometimes be an excuse for not doing something that's really important because there's always customers to serve. <laughs> um, yes, of course. Uh, <laughs> and as you say, as the customer becomes more important to organisations, then that does impact how they operate. But then in some cases, that can I think work the opposite way that it all then you know that the argument is you know do you look after the customer and then the employees come next or do you look after the employees and the customers come next and you know different people have different perspectives do you have a, a view on that oh I'm going to say you look after them both because they do <laughs> they do genuinely go hand in hand and, and I've worked in businesses so I've worked in a an agency business where we were the the middleman and really the negotiator for retailers on the left and global manufacturers on the right and I've worked in another business um, that owned brands as well and had licensed brands and again you know you're looking after that customer on one side and the consumer on the other and then you've got your employees in the middle who are literally driving everything for you so I think what happened and, mm-hmm. and you give me your view I'd be interested but I think what happened towards sort of the late 2000s I started to experience a shift in the organizations that I went into. And I think probably because we had the crash, we had the financial crisis, so things had to become a lot more focused in terms of that cost control. Well, what people actually started to realize was that if you look after your customers and you look after your employees, then the pennies will start to look after themselves. And so I certainly sensed the shift at that point and it became the, the employee and how they're engaged with is equally as valuable and equally as important as what you did for your customer because you had to look after them both. Mm. Mm. I listened to a really interesting interview about six months ago, um, and I, can't, I think it might have been on the podcast Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat by Bruce Daisley, who's been a guest on this show. And it was a lady who researches and specialises in retail, and they were talking about how... Uh, I think it's Mercado in sort of Spain, Portugal, and in the States, Trader Joe's. 
how they're retailers mm-hmm. who even during those tough times absolutely focused on their customer and their employees and they basically sort of told the shareholders that they'd have to just sort of you know <laughs> lump it whilst they were, whilst they were going through <laughs> difficult times and what and i'm sure there's a technical way of explaining that um but at the end of it, as the as things started to recover, then compared to other retail organisations, they recovered much more quickly because they yes. sort of maintained that focus on customer and, and people and didn't, you know, slash um, or, or stop, you know, investing in their people or, um, you know, they didn't put their prices up particularly or, you know, all the stuff that would have been of the opposite. Um, and actually, they recovered far more quickly than the the other organisations. And I, I thought it was really interesting. You know, it's really hard to hold your nerve through those situations, though, isn't it? And really focus on on customers and employees. It, it absolutely is. But if you go to your employees and say, right, we're going to make a million pounds worth of savings. I'm making this up. We're going to make a million pounds worth of savings. Um, then productivity will go down. Everybody will feel nervous. Everybody will feel, oh, my security, my comfort blank is gone. Whereas if you go to your employees and say, we need to save collectively a million pounds, how do we do it? It's a very different conversation. And I think that what you're describing with that other retailer is somebody holding their nerve, toughing it out and saying, right, okay, we're in this together. And, you know, yes, yes, we might have a, a short-term pain period, but then actually, if we look after our customers and we look after our loyal employees that we've got, we'll get through it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wondering whether I should be really unfair and put you on the spot here, knowing that you've been doing some work for the NHS. <laughs> Does that work in, in government scenarios? Because we're, we're hearing, obviously, as we know, you know, money's going, not, not coming to, to, to the government departments, wherever that might be, or the public sector. How, how do we help those organisations to engage their people? <laughs> uh, do you know what? I think that um, they, are, they are engaging their people. And if I look at the two government organisations that I've been to, they're working very hard to engage with the teams and really to, to communicate, get the message out there, to, to be the best that they can be. And I think, you know, in terms of practices and in terms of, the leadership in there and the understanding and the collective working i have to say it's um it really is a good example in the places that i've been so so far i've, I've only got positives to say from my own experience mm-hmm. and of course going back to what you've said about sort of focusing on the customer in a lot of the places like the nhs that, that, that you know the, the individuals are naturally focused on the customer sort of almost regardless of what's going on around them, which uh, I guess helps, but also can provide its own challenges. I know certainly in our um, uh, thought and action group that was looking at um, volunteering, they were looking at how sometimes when you've got volunteers who are really bought into a cause, that actually getting them bought into the organisation can be difficult because those two things aren't necessarily the same. Yeah. And I think that probably exist in places like the NHS as well that, that people are very committed to their patients but actually what they think should be happening with them may, may be different to the organisation sort of thought on it as well so I can imagine that uh, you've got some sort of advantage before you even start but then equally you've got some challenge um, you know with that, with that sort of um, example. 
So what, what about some top tips? So we've just sort of coming into the last five minutes or so of the show. Top tips for people in terms of engaging employees for retention and advocacy, as we named the, the show today. What, what can we yes. what can we throw out there to our listeners? <laughs> well, I think I think the the main things that people always need is that that opportunity. So that, so the top line is the opportunity, the development, the progression to grow, being able to see a path through them through the organisation for themselves, or not if they're happy. I think that sometimes we run the risk of trying to come up with a career path for everybody and when some some people are just quite quite happy to to stay in one function and stay in that role but I think it's it's working with that individual and opportunity in the development basis but then I think in terms of an engagement strategy there's some really good examples in L&D environments and in education as well actually of, of how they interact with people so things like a gallery walk where you can show your ideas and you can show progress and have discussion points with people things like running debates um, where we can pick a topic and and um, people debate and then come up with a solution things like quizzes and um, you know simulation activities having a learning coach mentoring all those kind of things that they're not they're learning development tools but they're actually good ways of engaging with teams as well and I think what I found over my years in working is that actually Having that mentorship and having that coaching means a lot to people, and I've certainly used it more and more. I became an accredited coach last year, and I've noticed a difference in how I engage and how I develop people just since doing that accreditation. So I think having that that coaching program, that mentoring program, but then also allowing people to debate in a safe environment and giving them the autonomy to come up with solutions to business problems. I think anything like that is a really good way of engaging with people and communicating as well, rather than just pushing newsletters out and, and emails out with the, the latest comms piece about really giving people a topic, getting them to debate it through, and then giving them the autonomy and the support to um, put in whatever solution they come up with. It's great ways of just communicating, collaborating across teams. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you mentioning mentoring. I was listening to something or talking to somebody the other day where they're talking about reverse mentoring, where you'll get, you know, sort of younger, very inexperienced members of, of an organisation working with, you know, a senior leader, the chief executive or whatever yeah. around particular topics, which... Um, obviously gives them a bit of insight into what's happening at the sort of grassroots level in the organisation, uh, you know, as part of, of their learning. And uh, have, you, have yeah. you come across with that in any of your organisations? Yes, it, yes, it is. It's mm-hmm. something that um, I'm just recently looking at as well, because I think it does that. But also what it does is that if you've got an employee who's been with an organisation for a considerable amount of time, say 20 years, they might be in a certain way of doing something within a certain structure. And having mm. somebody new to the organization, you can do that knowledge share, but what you can also do is you can get that newer employee to actually help support somebody who's been in the organization a long time and perhaps is less comfortable with change. And or the other way mm. is fatigued by so much change. You know, there's been so much year after year, it, it becomes exhausting. So I think the, the mentoring piece can work from a knowledge here, but it can also work the other way in that supporting somebody who's been there a long time to get um, comfortable and get into a new way of working. Mm, mm, lovely. Thank you. So we're just coming into the last couple of minutes of the show. A, a final thought, tip, comment? 
I think a thought tip and a comment for me is that, and, and this is why I wanted to start with it, is before we engage, what are you going to do? You know, so what do you want to get out of the engagement? What do you want to mean? Because the important thing in any organization, in any sector, is the so what. And, um, you know, mm. we talk about things that are changing, you know, it's going from this to this. What's staying the same as well? So for people who are not comfortable with change, what's actually not changing? What, you know, concentrating on that as much as the where we're going from and to. But I think the experience and the so what is really important to people. That's what makes change stick, and that's what gives engagement value. If you can really bring to life and articulate the so what and think about how people want to or should experience that before you deliver it, I think you'll go a long way to making engagement successful. Brilliant. Lovely. Thank you, Julie. Thanks for joining me today. No problem. Thank you. So, Delano, next week we've got Sean Jones, who's Head of Internal Communications at the Bank of England, coming along to talk to Joe Moffat. And they're going to be talking about how the Bank of England engages their people through social media. So, uh, Joe looks forward to speaking to you next week. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.